California streets empty. As nearly 40 million people in that state are sequestered, closely followed by a similar order in New York. It's like, it's, I don't know, it's like watching a yo-yo. I shouldn't have said it that way. It's like watching... It feels that way. I want to ask... I want to... <laughs> I'd like to provide the American people with an update on our efforts to protect the integrity of our very important 2020 election. Hey everybody, I am Freddie J and you're tuned in to the Live, Learn, Repeat podcast. Okay, let's get right into it and take a look back at the year from hell. So in the last couple of episodes, I've mentioned a theory of mine that this Trump moment, albeit seemingly over, was a moment that exposed the entire system for exactly what it is. Or what it's become anyway. Not some unique evil, but a corporate cronyist one-party system whose institutions, they're crumbling right in front of our eyes. And ultimately, it's an entity that is just completely disconnected from normal people. Now, Trump's done America no favors, and even on his way out of the White House, he seems to be taking the typical scorched-earth, narcissistic, Trumpian way. But if you can put that aside for a moment and just look back at 2020, for me, anyway, I can only describe it like... Let's say China. Yeah, let's say China. If I had to describe 2020 like China, I would describe it as the year of the red pill. Now, Matrix stuff aside, getting red-pilled, politically at least, had nothing to do with Republicans or Democrats and everything to do with seeing or actually not being able to unsee what 2020 revealed to me. And I guess now is as good a time as any to say, fuck 2020. How dare you? I'm sorry, Greta. I I just can't take this year. I've been been locked up. It's, It's just been horrible. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. No, I mean, I get it, Greta. It's terrifying. You're right. And I am as guilty as the next guy. But I'm filled with gratitude. I've got my health, I've got my family, I somehow still have a job. For a lot of people, 2020 was straight up devastating. Dead moms and dads, brothers, sisters, a whole lot of grandmas and grandpas, 
completely ruined businesses. And let's be honest, mostly small businesses wiped out. Of course, there's layoffs. People getting fired. Companies shutting down, cutting back staff. Jobs and daily meaning. Gone. Poof. Just gone. And most of all, fear and anxiety of a nasty little pathogen that has wreaked havoc on the whole world. But I mean, Greta, you also got to admit this lockdown is not good for the whole plastic bag situation. I mean, takeout, groceries, people are essentially gloved and sealed in bubble wrap. It it's, can't be good. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school. Yeah, Greta, you should. But schools here in California have been closed for nearly a year. And I don't see an end in sight. Now I'm really, really trying to find the silver lining here. I want to be a glass half full guy. I mean, an angry optimist, but let's just say an optimist nonetheless. And take something away from this wretched year. And as I stated before, this Trump moment, this pandemic, and this year have served to really, really expose our political leaders, the institutions, and more importantly, the flaws in the brand of capitalism, which is not free market capitalism, that is specifically being employed here in the U.S. The type of sort of cozy, corporatist, big government capitalism that we're practicing is basically making sure that well, that the little guy gets fucked. Let's be honest. But you have to be willing to see what's right in front of you. You gotta swallow that red pill. And if ever there were a time for proper medicine, the age of SARS-CoV-2 is ripe for red-pilling. Not because of some evil conspiracy, but because of what's happening right in front of us. We've been shut down for a year here in Los Angeles. I mean, it's been a half-assed shutdown, but the numbers are terrifying. It's not some some behind-closed-doors evil guy. It's happening right in front of us. Banks, corporations, they got trillions of dollars. You got a $1,200 check in April. It's December 31st. Amazon, Target, Costco, they, they're, they're doing fine. And in reality, they are providing a service. But if you're a mom-and-pop front-facing retail shop or a restaurant, good luck. So I want to talk about these lockdowns. But I'm scared just like everyone else of the virus of having my ideas turn flip back on me and calling me some kind of denier of sorts. But businesses, schools, shuttered. Mask mandates. Everywhere I go, 95% of people are wearing masks. By the way, including me. And the spike is terrifying. I mean, I'm not going to bore you by going through the numbers. It's it's scary. But the guy who shut down the businesses in California is out dining at the French Laundry with a freaking lobbyist inside. No mask. Oh, hell no. Oh, yeah. 
Now, there's certainly a possibility that these measures are aimed for the greater good of society, but they are undoubtedly unconstitutional and bear the unmistakable stench of rules for thee, but not for me. And by the way, if ever there were signs of fascism in our republic, these edicts and measures and closures are far more fascistic than anything that ever came out of the Trump administration. I mean, sure, he said mean words and did a lot of stuff that rankled liberals, but he didn't single-handedly pass edicts that affected entire states and cities around him. I mean, be honest. When Nancy Pelosi needed a haircut, Somehow, the salon in San Fran that she loved managed to be open. Inside, not outside. But to really stay on track with this episode, because it's a year in review, let's go back a full year. What was happening in December and January of 2020? First, it should be noted... The pandemic was not a thing yet, really. There were no masks, no lockdowns. I mean, it was a thing, but it hadn't, let's just say, landed on our shores yet. I mean, it would start to take hold in February and March. But so so we're going back a full year. But the world was on fire. The politics were running just as hot. I mean, what was happening? This is the first in a series of public hearings the committee will be holding as part of the House's impeachment inquiry. For only the third time in our nation's history, the sitting president of the United States faced impeachment proceedings, were taken up in the House, and voted on in the Senate. Our elected leaders had discovered behavior so egregious that it was a national imperative to impeach, try, and possibly remove the sitting president. An action so treasonous, so traitorous, it bore the evil moniker quid pro quo. A fancy way of saying, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Something that we all know never ever happens in politics. And what, you ask, what was this evil orange lunatic asking for? Why would he compromise the safety of our nation, America's good name, or even his own presidency out of pure selfishness? What did he ask for? Well, The conversation between Donald J. Trump and President Volodymyr Zelensky is a fascinating read that's been declassified by the president himself. The Burisma affair is hinted at, as well as a big public investigation by their public prosecutor, as well as the very shaky CrowdStrike DNC server issue for Hillary Clinton's missing emails. That makes a brief appearance. But it's essentially a couple of blowhards congratulating themselves for being awesome. But towards the end, Donald Trump does ask for a favor. And at this point in time, when he asked for it, it was moving directly against one of the quote-unquote DNC's strongest candidates. All right, so about halfway through the document, and I'm quoting directly from the memo, uh, which has been declassified by the president, as I said, and it is, sounds, it's not a transcript, but it sounds like it's transcribed in their words. But anyway, I can't really do a Trump voice, so you're going to have to bear with me. This is about halfway through. They've already discussed CrowdStrike. They've already congratulated each other. They already sort of talked about draining their individual swamp, so to speak. And we get to here where the President of the United States when Donald Trump says, good, B. 
because I heard you had a prosecutor who was very good and was shut down, and that's really unfair. A lot of people are talking about that, the way they shut down your very good prosecutor, and you had some very bad people involved. Mr. Giuliani is a highly respected man. He was the mayor of New York City, a great mayor, and I would like him to call you. I will ask him to call you along with the Attorney General. Rudy very much knows what's happening, and he's a very capable guy. Questionable, that's me, not the transcript. If you could speak with him, that would be great. The former ambassador from the United States, the woman was bad news, and the people she was dealing with in the Ukraine were bad news. So I just wanted to let you know that. The other thing, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about that. So whatever you can do with that, with the attorney general, will be great. Biden went around bragging that he had stopped the prosecution. So if you can look into that, it sounds horrible to me. Okay. So that's what Donald Trump asked for. And it's essentially asking him to look into Hunter Biden. And let's put a pin in that because he also, he mentions not just Giuliani, but he mentions the attorney general, which is the person essentially in charge of all internal criminal prosecution in the United States, if I have it correctly. He's in part, he's in charge of the Department of Justice, but I believe that the FBI reports to the Department of Justice and the Attorney General. Yes, uh, yeah, here on the FBI's website, and I quote, within the U.S. Department of Justice, the FBI is responsible to the Attorney General. And it reports its finding to U.S. attorneys across the country. The FBI's intelligence activities are overseen by the Director of National Intelligence. So now I'm confused. I, I don't know. The point is there is mentioned in, in there is Rudy Giuliani, who I'm still not exactly sure what his official role is. He's the president's attorney, but I don't know if he's got some federal position. Uh, I don't think he does. But the attorney general certainly does. And he mentions to Zelensky that the attorney general is going to contact him about this Hunter Biden situation. Okay, let's put a pin in that for this second. O okay, so Trump asks the Ukrainian president to look into Hunter Biden this paragon of virtue and credentials, Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden with the $60,000 a month gig in the energy industry, despite never working in the energy industry. Hunter Biden, the guy we know who flew on Air Force Two while his father was vice president to close a multi-million dollar deal with a Chinese corporate entity. Hunter Biden, the son of the now president-elect of the United States. And why? Why, you ask, would any of that matter? I mean, it shouldn't matter, and it certainly doesn't uh, convict Joe Biden of anything. I mean, his son got a good gig and, you know, flew on Air Force Two to lock up a venture capital deal. I mean, that's not uh, against the law. So why would any of that matter in 2020? Well, here's why. This is from the Washington Post. December 9th, 2020, from the Washington Post, the headline reads, Hunter Biden confirms he's under federal investigation. Huh, weird. 
Federal prosecutors have been investigating Hunter Biden, President-elect Joe Biden's son, to determine if he failed to report income from China-related business deals, according to people familiar with the matter, a politically explosive probe that is likely to challenge the Justice Department in the incoming administration. The investigation into the President-elect's son began in 2018. Weird. Because that call with Donald Trump and the president of the Ukraine was in 2019. Huh. The article continues, though little could be learned immediately about what, if any, wrongdoing it had found. The existence of a tax investigation was confirmed Wednesday by Hunter Biden in a statement saying he had just been advised of it, according to a person familiar with the matter who, like others, spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss ongoing politically sensitive investigation, FBI agents have been seeking to talk to Hunter Biden as part of the case on Tuesday, though an interview has not yet been scheduled, as well as serve subpoenas on Hunter Biden and his associates. I learned yesterday for the first time that the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware advised my legal counsel also yesterday that they are investigating my tax affairs, Hunter Biden said in a statement. I take this matter very seriously, but I am confident that a professional and objective review of these matters will demonstrate I handled my affairs legally and appropriately, including with the benefit of professional tax advisors. Hunter Biden's attorney, George Messeris, Messeris, George Messeris did not respond to requests for additional information about the case. Okay. So that's from the Washington Post. Now, there's a couple of things here that are really important. Number one, as this ludicrous cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs president of ours sat in the hot seat and Democrats and Republicans, senators and congressmen wasted our taxpayer dollars in impeachment proceedings, blowheartedly blathering their own freaking nonsense and worldviews. Nobody thought it would be a good idea to mention the fact that the thing the president asked for was being investigated by the FBI itself. Okay. You're innocent until proven guilty and the investigation's about China, not about the Ukraine. The way I understand it, the FBI doesn't just open up investigations willy-nilly against people, unless I've got it wrong. And number two, these lackeys, these flunkies that, that Donald Trump allegedly put into office to, to do his bidding— Bill Barr and whoever else was the uh, attorney general. Nobody thought that during the presidential primary, maybe this information was relevant to one of the top candidates. No, not important. Okay. Number three. This didn't start in 2019 or in 2020, which is now over. This investigation was opened up in 2018 for things that happened while Joe Biden was sitting in a White House office. Now, I want you to think about that. An entire primary season, this whole madness, this... this a candidate who couldn't be found and who got run out on the rails by the DNC? Bernie Sanders. Andrew Yang. Who was the Russian asset and puppet? Donald Trump. Tulsi Gabbard. Meanwhile, there's an open investigation into illegal doings by the lead DNC candidate's son. Go ahead. Try and unsee that. I dare you.
Oh, oh, and let's not forget the quid pro quo argument. Well, um, you know, you dangle millions of dollars for information about a political opponent, and that is, man, that's an impeachable offense. But if you dangle a billion dollars in front of someone to stop an investigation with your son's fingerprints all over it, well, then you get to be president of the United States. No questions asked. Said, nah, I said, I'm not going to, we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, you have no authority. You're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. <laughs> I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours. I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid at the time. Look, I have read far too much about this stuff, and I, I still can't fully figure out the Ukraine situation. But the more you look into it, the dirtier it gets. And quite frankly, I'm sure if we dig deep enough in Trump's business dealings that there's all kinds of sweetheart deals that Jared and Ivanka and Don Jr. and, and the whole lot of them have got going. I mean, I'm, I'm sure of it. But nobody thought that this was pertinent. If Okay, if nobody thought at the time it was pertinent during the Obama administration, because, you know, you couldn't question them, but wouldn't you think during the campaign, during the election, during the impeachment, somebody would bring these things up and say, hey, maybe this isn't the guy. Nope. So try and unsee it. Go ahead. For four decades, man, I, I viewed myself as a liberal, as a Democrat. I mean, I, I, I just couldn't see myself as any other way. And I don't feel like I've changed at all. I mean, my positions on social issues and the war on drugs is the biggest failure in human history. I mean, I am a liberal person who, who, who I, I just, I don't even recognize the worldview that the Democrats are putting forward. I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't. I mean, to me, the reality is that a Biden-Harris administration may as well be Mark Rubio, Nikki Haley. I mean, they are identical. There is no discernible difference between Dem Democrats and Republicans, especially the quote-unquote centrists because they're not centrists they, they they don't serve the center they serve special interests they serve giant corporations they serve big banks i mean just, just look at the cares act and, and 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 even the current uh you know relief bill six hundred dollars and there's journalists running around writing pieces on what you should do with the $600 relief check. It's like, are you, are you people fucking clueless? I mean, what do you mean, what should you do with it? If you've been unemployed for nine months, what do you think people are going to do with it? It's just a, it, it's a total detachment from reality. Which brings us to 2020's next red pill moment. And an absolute shutdown of what you can say and ultimately what you can think. The band of allowable ideas. And censorship of fundamentally American freedoms. In this case, yes, assembly, we've talked about the right to pursue happiness in these lockdowns. But now we're talking about what you can say and what you can think. Freedom of speech. And freedom of the press. Narrowed. Stifled. Not by Donald Trump. 
not by any other elected official or some bullshit law they filed under hate speech laws, but speech ideas controlled by technocrats like Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey single-handedly deciding the ideas, the words, and narratives that are allowed in your brain. And thanks to Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, a piece of legislation that passed back in 1996, these platforms have complete immunity from prosecution of anything that's said on their platforms and gives these companies total authority to remove any speech or ideas that violate their terms of service, which nobody on God's green earth could possibly understand, and they change all the time. So, no liability again, and complete authority to take off, to negate, to ban, to remove ideas and speech that they don't like. Done. All the upside, none of the downside. Hmm. Sound like the banks a little bit? Make bad bets, federal tax bailout, make good bets, big bonus time. Strange. Now, truthfully, these are private companies and should not be bound by the U.S. Constitution. I'm a libertarian at heart, and I'm not suggesting that... I mean, I don't, it's, it's very complicated. It's very hard to understand because they, these places, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, have become the public square. And if they are the public square, you should be subjected, held to the same standard as the public square would be held. Freedom to assemble, freedom of association, freedom of speech. It seems, it seems reasonable, but they are private companies. This is not public forum. You can get off of Twitter and go to, I don't know, whatever that other Twitter is where all the trolls and right-wingers go. Is it parlor? Or you could, you know, upload your videos to, I don't know, Vimeo, maybe? Is there another one besides YouTube? I mean, they are dangling by a thread at this point but in terms of just, like, completely shutting down independent voices. Um, and I'm not sure what the answer is, but how do you unsee as it relates to the October surprise? How do you look at what Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube did about any content that pointed to the Hunter Biden laptop story and say to yourself, yeah, yeah, it, it, was, it was good that they took those things off in light of the fact that on December 9th, from the article that I just read to you, Hunter Biden has been under federal investigation for two and a half years. Question the science or the validity of the Hunter Biden story. You're a Nazi science denier right-wing lunatic. But in October, when the Hunter Biden story broke, Twitter would not allow you to share the link to the Post story and shut down the New York Post's Twitter account. But say gender is a social construct, well, you're a hero. That's not some nutty right-wing conspiracy. That is, those are seemingly the rules that these platforms are, are playing by. 
Again, it comes down to consistency. Just imagine that the same standard was held towards the endless coverage by every major media outlet on, let's say, Russiagate. That they held, that Twitter held the, the, the Hunter Biden situation to. I mean, none of those allegations were ever proven. The information was initially uh, was initially received through what turned out to be an unlawful FISA warrant. I mean, this is all fact. This is not something I'm I'm making up. This is all declassified. You can go look up the stories and see how they failed to mention the fact that they knew. The person they were tapping had already been contacted by the Russians and was already a, a CIA asset. I mean, this is all fact. I mean, this has all been established fact. I mean, so how do we unsee any of that? And so, yeah, Americans are skeptical, of course. Which brings us to our next red pill moment of 2020. Law and order. For the masses. Not for Hunter Biden or or Donald Trump. But law and order for the masses. The loudest cry in the woke wing of the smoldering ashes of this Democratic Party. What were they saying all year? Defund the police. Which my progressive friends love to point out to me. Doesn't really mean defund the police. It means, you know, funnel those funds somewhere else. Like mental health or treatment. Which, by the way, I'm all for. Probably be great. But that's not what we said. We said defund the police. And so when the shit hit the fan after five months of lockup or lockdown as the case may be and violence took to the streets bodies and businesses were at risk in America's cities what happened? The police stood down. But open your restaurant in the wrong place or take your kids to a taped-off playground. Well, cops were right there to enforce the law. By the way, not even law. Mandates. And let's not forget, after getting smoked in the primaries and polling worse than any other candidate, Who did the Democrats hand the vice presidency and more than likely the presidency to? California's top cop. A woman who has locked up people of color for bullshit for years. A woman who put people away on bad DNA evidence. Kamala Harris. Defund the police. Oh, oh, I get it. Yeah, right. Defund the police by putting the fifth, the nation's fifth largest economy top prosecutor into the White House. Mm-hmm. Good idea. After running out the likes of Andrew Yang, who called for universal basic income before any of this mess. The DNC didn't even offer Tulsi Gabbard a single spot in their four-day online convention as they completely failed to acknowledge the violence and preached at me about my inherent bias and evilness. You know where Tulsi was? Do you know where she was? She was serving her two weeks of National Guard duty up in Alaska. 
That's where she was. And what about Bernie? I was feeling the burn for a while there. I actually voted for him in the primary. Bernie Sanders, whose calls for Medicare for All are resoundingly popular in America. Nope. Railroaded again. Completely out of the race. If you lived for a thousand years, you couldn't unsee what happened during that primary election. I mean, impossible. You, You just couldn't. Which brings us to our next red pill moment of 2020. The American healthcare system. How about this? No national plan still. Still no rapid testing, although they turned them around quick for us. I'll, I'll give them that. I got mine back. But there's, there are, there's allegedly technology where you could like test it with like a strip, almost like a pregnancy test, that it will give you a result that's 99% accurate within an hour or two. And as for our system as it stands, when a case gets coded for the coronavirus or COVID, as the case may be, where do those bills get sent? Does, does Anthem or Kaiser or Cigna or United Health or any of these companies, does this go to them? You know, now that they've been, you know, reaping the rewards of the Affordable Care Act? Nope. Right to Medicare. Yeah. Right to Medicare. The president-elect is the co-author of the largest corporate handout in human history. Five or so insurers that split up, essentially, I think it's one out of every six dollars spent in America. And still, when someone is uninsured, when a hospital has to do or bill for an emergency COVID case, It goes to Medicare and still no Medicare for all. I mean, try and unsee that. Try and unsee it. That is not made up. You can can look it up. That's where the bills get sent. Now, the good news is that science has come up with several vaccines that are seemingly effective. The bad news, you question anything about them or the virus or anything, you'll be handily removed from Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and you'll be branded a kook, conspiracy theorist. Hey, bud, what's your problem? Oh, so many problems. So many problems I have. But... What else did we see in 2020? Well, we cannot overlook the absolute shattering of the mainstream media narrative as it relates to the Trump presidency. Protest the lockdown? You are a grandma killer and a kook. Protest to show Black Lives Matter? Hero. You are a hero. Congratulations. And I shouldn't have to point out that, of course, Black Lives Matter. Doesn't mean you have to like the organization Black Lives Matter. Just saying. But as we made our way through this insane year and all this information that was just the target was constantly moving. It was just, I mean, it really, in the best case scenario, was almost impossible to make sense of. And nobody can really claim to have the absolute facts and know all the science. I mean, it, it's just too complex. And, and the jury is still out on a lot of it. But the year and the stories and the situation of 2020 undoubtedly culminated in this insane 
presidential election. And since this is my last topic, I sort of want to explain this red pill moment like this. In the first 20 years of the 21st century, we've been fed a steady diet of bullshit from the mainstream media. Now, it's really kicked off since 9-11, but 2020 just freaking blew it out of the water, right? I mean, going back, everything from WMDs in Iraq to the modern-day idea that words and silence are violence, it's just, it's just such nonsense uh, that, that, that is has passed for for sense-making over the last 20 years, that it's not surprising a Donald Trump, who likes to call things fake news, was able to eke his way into the presidency. But being red-pilled has nothing to do with being liberal or conservative, left or right, or even Democrat or Republican. Again, it requires that you see things for what they are in our best guess at, let's call it, objective reality. It requires consistency. It requires rational skepticism. And finally, it requires this extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Now, whether that's 9-11 was a controlled demolition or Iraq poses a threat to America or the Syrian regime gassed its own people. Whatever it is, if you're going to say it and you want Americans to believe it and it's a very sort of extraordinary claim, you've got to show us extraordinary evidence. It's very easy to do that in today's world. Everyone owns a camera. You can get documents to people faster than ever. This isn't the days of the Pony Express. There are I downloaded the PDF of the president's conversation with the Ukrainian President Zelensky. I mean, it's it's quite easy to do it. In 2020, in this pandemic, was the year of not just extraordinary, absurdist claims, but let's call it upside-down world in a constantly moving target. Don't use a mask. You got to use a mask. We need 200,000 respirators. People died because of respirators. Shut down schools and bars and restaurants for the safety of the people. Now I'm going to go grab dinner with my lobbyist pal and trade a few of these hospitality stocks before the announcement. I mean, it's just, it's nuts. And you need to be consistent. A primary, as we just discussed, that ran off some of the most promising voices in the classical liberal left, although I suspect we haven't heard the last of Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard. Bernie, on the other hand, is up against Father Time. But in the year of our Lord, 2020, we got to choose between Donald Trump and Joe Biden? That was our big choice in this election. And it's an election where nobody can find Joe Biden. When he's not fumfering on MSNBC, he's sort of MIA. And Trump, bless his heart, he gets the Rona. He gets the virus, beats it, is a week later is back out on the trail holding multiple events. And so here we are. Beep, 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 beep. 
in the midst of the most important presidential election of our lives, and we got censorship, riots, mass protests, lockdowns, and now let's call it, if not completely revamped, a massive shift from in-person day of voting to early mail-in voting. More than a hundred million Americans either voted early or mailed in their ballots this year. That's slightly more than twice as many as voted or used mail-in ballots in 2016. Now, it should be noted that mail-in voting and early voting have both been on the rise for a few decades, and in many ways, why not? I mean, sort of makes sense. But you can't overlook the obvious and say, 20, 30, 40, maybe as many as 50 million more votes were cast in this presidential election and counted away from public scrutiny. And here's where things get real important and the need for nuance comes in. Because my original rant, again, is really important. This dog shit coronavirus situation is nothing if not disruptive. And I, I mean globally, right? I mean, this thing has really, it's, it's just, it's set the world on its ass. So we've got that extraordinary situation. But again, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence to say the system was rigged or tampered with or the election was stolen from Donald Trump. It's such a bold claim. I just haven't seen the evidence to make me believe it. That's despite the fact that the blue wave never came. That's despite the fact that six or seven more million more people voted for Joe Biden than Barack Obama, one of the most skilled, if not the most skilled politician of our lifetime, who, quite frankly, garnered a couple of votes just from me, right? Now, here is the part of the episode, if you made it this far, where I copped all the stuff I got wrong. And there was plenty of it. I thought Donald Trump was going to win. I didn't think there was enough support for Kamala, or Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. I also put my money where my mouth was and turned $20,000 into $10,000 because I bet that the market was going to crash. It never did. And I really thought that we might be seeing some more violence on the streets in the wake of what we saw this summer in cities around the country. But I guess it turns out that Trumpers aren't as violent as Antifa? I'm not sure. There is another Trump rally, and probably his final one that's slated for, I believe, January 6th. So we'll see what happens there. But the point is, Donald Trump, good riddance. You exposed the system, but you weakened it at the same time. And you sure as hell didn't drain the swamp. I mean, when it comes down to it, there are a couple of good things I can point to. The First Step Act, cutting some regulation. But the business of usual of, of, of the military-industrial complex went on as planned. You certainly didn't clean up the swamp. But just for future believability and consistency, if you're one of my progressive friends, if you're a liberal, if you're a thinker, if you're someone who, who, who just... Who, who wants to steel man arguments and play with ideas. You can't spend three years questioning the legitimacy of the Trump presidency based on nothing and a Russiagate hoax that never bore out any real evidence of collusion and then look at a presidential election who had another 30, 40 million votes cast by mail-in ballots and not have the, an equal amount of skepticism, right? I mean, 
I would say again, extraordinary claims need extraordinary evidence. I didn't believe the Russiagate story, and I don't believe that the election was rigged against Trump until sh- someone shows me some proof. But it's consistent, and I don't have to believe or not believe that the sitting president of the United States was impeached and under attack by his own apparatus and you know tools of the state for the entire presidency. I mean, who knows what Trump could have done? I mean, he... Who knows? I mean, I, I just don't buy it. But either way, he, he did not clean up the swamp. Like I said, I could point to a couple of good things he did, including the first step or, you know, sign, including some deregulation in the first step act. And he certainly put the pedal to the metal on getting this vaccination effort underway. But how much did he really have to do with that? I mean, that that's not something Donald Trump had much effect on. But you can't claim our society is based on racism and misogyny and slavery, and it all manifested in one dog-whistling Donald J. Trump, and then have more women and more people of color vote for him in this election than the last election. That's, that story just doesn't equate. Okay? Until Donald Trump came into office, only wacky conspiracy theorists used the term deep state. Today we live in a world where unelected bureaucrats have openly bragged about lying to the commander-in-chief as it relates to our troops in Syria. And turning the tools of the greatest surveillance state in history right back at the duly elected president. The man who swore to uphold the Constitution and all its inalienable rights was sort of denied due process and spied on. And if the president isn't afforded those rights, you think you're going to get them? Privacy, due process, freedom of speech, thought. You might want to think again. In this day and age, you better have the right ideas or you wind up an untouchable, fired, or on a list. That's what I see liberals and progressives tweeting about these days. Hate speech laws. And lists, Twitter bans, very progressive. (laughs) Now, if by some act of God you made it this far, you're probably thinking to yourself, Freddy, where? Where is this silver lining? Where is this half-full glass you speak of? What positive can we take from this hellish excuse for a year? And simply put, it's this. People, people are awesome. And even though our Democratic and Republican politicians can't seem to collaborate to get anything done, if you choose to see, or more importantly, not to unsee the system for exactly what it is, and how broken and corrupt it is, you know that good people will rise up and that people can and will choose a different path. I mean, in some ways, that's sort of what Trump is or was. Anyway, maybe this is the time that the libertarians rise up. That's my hope. I can see... In the wake of these lockdowns, freedom and liberty being very important moving forward. Or maybe it's a new party. Or maybe through civil disobedience, good people just choose to opt out of these laws and systems that have run roughshod over the most vulnerable amongst us. But I mean, you can't live through 2020 
and not at least question the idea that these rules and these laws that claim to be here to help the people might actually be doing the exact opposite of what they say they're supposed to be doing. That they might actually be doing more harm than good. But you also can't live through a year like 2020 and unsee a million acts of progress and kindness. And whether it's Elon Musk's historical reusable rockets, the meal train your neighbors started for a sick friend, or the scientists working around the world to come up with a vaccine for this wretched virus. The thing that they all have in common is this. When awesome people collaborate, shit gets done. And while I'm happy to say sayonara to Donald J. Trump, don't let the door hate you in your ass, I know that there are millions of Americans just like me who are itching to collaborate, to come up with solutions, to hash out ideas in order to help solve problems. And as a true lover of collaboration, I'm going to end the show where I started it with a song from the Gorillaz' new album. The, the album's called Song Machine Season 1, Strange Times, The Cut, Desolée which is a collaboration with two of the pastiest Brits you've ever laid eyes on and a beautiful Nubian princess whose name I would just butcher. So Google it. The cut's name is Desolée. Be safe. Be kind. Be good to your family and neighbors. And know that 2021 is the year that we collaborate, we move on for answers, and that we live, learn, repeat. Happy New Year, everyone.
Désolé, désolé, désolé. 